Luke chapter 8, brand new territory, praise the Lord. Why are you really cheering? Let's just be honest here. It's just, you know. <laughs> You're cheering because you love God's word, man. Not because it's taken us 25 years to get here. That's not why you're cheering. God's word is alive. And it produces fruit. And it changes things. I'm going to read. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to preach. And we're going to let the Lord do work. But I want you to catch this scene because the context is king. What is happening? The flow. Jesus has just got done with dinner. Wiped his mouth and rid his beard of the crumbs. And he's at dinner with two people, primarily Simon the Pharisee. He had a scowl and a frown. Wasn't too happy. And then there was another guest at dinner. It was the sinful woman, the, the prostitute, who broke the alabaster jar of fragrant oil, wept so much that his feet were cleansed by her tears. He, she then dried his feet with her hair. She then anointed his feet with oil. She, she then kissed his feet with her lips. Wow, the devotion, the emotion. And Jesus said to her, final words from chapter 7, woman, your faith has saved you. Not her tears, not, not her hair, not her oil, not her love, her simple faith. Do you realize that Jesus had declared to her the same thing he had declared to Simon? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you a rest for your souls. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And Simon said, whatever. I'll have you over for dinner, but I'm not, I'm not buying it yet. And the woman, when she heard that, like the alabaster jar, she, she broke. She, heard, she was so hurt by life. Things had been done to her, unspeakable, no doubt. Things had been done by her, unspeakable, no doubt. And when she heard the words of the Messiah, anybody out there hurting? Anybody needy? Anybody need to be cleansed? Come to me, and I'll do it for you. Music to the ears of the broken sinner. And she came and she wept, but it was her faith in his words that saved her. It was evidenced by the life that she now lived, cleansing and serving, loving and worshiping the Savior. It's so fun when I see broken people. The first one I always see is myself in the mirror every day. Oh, there's that guy. And I see broken people living new lives. Not to be saved, but because we're saved. Not so will prove our love, but because his love has already been proven. And so the next day or the next scene, Jesus leaves now. This woman believed, and it's as if Jesus was so encouraged, almost like when you throw a crab pot into the bay. You just wonder, what's in that crab pot, man? It's down there deep, and you just are praying that the bait worked and that it's full of pot. You know, it's, 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 the pot's full of crab. It's full of crab, you know? And, 2017, got to clarify. No, no. Crab. Pot's full of crab. And you're praying that that be the case, you know, and some of you praying other things, but you're praying that, and you pull that up, and Jesus, if you would, let's go check the pots. Let's go see what else is going on in this region. What happens next? I'm going to tell you what happens, and then we're going to study it. Jesus gets up, and he goes back into a, a circuit, if you would, in Galilee, northern Israel, and he begins to preach in the cities he'd already visited. It's important. He goes back to see, what happened? I preached here earlier, cast out demons, got run out of some churches, kicked out of others, banned from some, invited to some. Remember that? Luke chapter 4. Jesus was going from city to city to synagogue to synagogue by himself, and then he called the 12 in chapter 5, and now he's going back. Like a fisherman, like a crabber, like a farmer, like somebody who would go back and check on what he had previously planted. And I need you to catch that scene because this is known as the sower and the soils, the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower. And Jesus goes out and he sees this crowd. There's some details that we need to study. But as he sees this crowd, he tells a story. He goes, this reminds me of a sower who sows the seed and some falls on the, and then he goes through the story, and then he illustrates it, and then he explains it. So I want you to just catch this scene. It's so fresh because we're here today, and the seed is God's word, and it goes everywhere. God's word is everywhere. You remember the old days football games where there would be that guy behind the uprights there with the John 3.16, you know, image like John 3.16, like that was the most famous verse in the world. That guy had season tickets to every game everywhere. I don't know how he did it. 
And God's word just goes everywhere. It's interesting, though. God's word has a different impact and effect on everybody. It does have an impact and effect, but it's different. And it's not because God's word changes. Just catch that, Bible students. It's not because God's word is more potent or less potent. It's the same. It's because it finds different types of soils, people in different seasons of their life, different situations. And while that seed is ready to go, not all the times are our hearts ready to go. And so Jesus is going to teach us great things, and I believe there's some, some real important lessons for us this morning. And so I'm going to read them, pray. It says this. Now it happened, verse 1, it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. This is different than the previous time. He's not alone gathering disciples. He's there with his disciples, and there are many people watching. Whoa, verse 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. That's both sicknesses and demonic oppression. Mary called Magdalene, that's where she was from, Magdala, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. This is crazy. The disciples aren't even named. They're just kind of listed. These three gals get their names like in print in Luke's epistle. They go down in history. Women, in the biblical context of Jesus' teaching ministry and his outreach towards everyone. That's no big deal for us. Like, yeah, big deal. What of it? In that day, it was a big deal. The rabbis of that day, the teachers of that day, the leaders of that day would have nothing, especially publicly, to do with women. And so here, the women are allowed to be included in Jesus' ministry, in reaching out to the towns and helping, and they're right alongside finding their position as well in what God is doing. Again, it's kind of well accepted in our day. This was where it began to change. This is where the equality and the inclusion and that diversity and that unity begin to be melded together. We see it right here. Let's keep reading. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. Stop right there, eyes up here. Other gospel writers include this exact same portion of scripture. There are so many people that Jesus shoves off into a boat maybe to check the crowd pot, I'm not sure. But he went into a boat to get away from the crowd and have this kind of amphitheater acoustics off the water to preach to this many people. Now, his message is choice. That many people, and you're going to preach this message, the message of the soils and the seed. It's as if he looked at everyone there and he's like, I know why you're here. I know why you're here. Hey, I know why you're here. I know why you're here. And he gives them this parable, which kind of dissects the crowd up into those who are truly seeking, those who want to seek, but they don't have time to seek, those who want to seek, but it's not popular to seek, those who want to seek, but they have no depth to seek. And he begins to really kind of plow down people's rows. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. The very first message I ever got, ever, ever, ever gave in my entire life on a stage just like this was this portion of scripture right here at the 1999 August Ashland Country Fair. When I stood up on a stage with a bunch of pagans and gurus and witches and weirdos. And and I preached this message and people stood up and turned their backs to me and booed and heckled. And and my, my plea with this crowd when I was given permission, which was a a testimony in and of itself, to, to be able to share in this environment, the Lord brought me to this passage. And the question I asked, the simple question I asked the crowd was, is just examine your heart. How is your heart towards the good news of God? How is your heart? Is it crowded? Is it hardened? Is it shallow? Or is it open? And by the way, there was much fruit from that event. I met some people that I'm still in fellowship with to this day, 1999, back then. We're still in ministry together, and relationships were birthed, and roots went down, and fruits came out, and it was legit. Here we are today, though, studying it again, and I'm so blessed. So I'm going to pray and ask God to bless our time and give us nuggets of truth along the path, and then to produce great fruit in our lives. For his glory. Father, in Jesus' name now, we ask a blessing on the reading of your word, the study. Lord, the teaching, the preaching, 
and we pray, Lord, that there would be application here in this house and those streaming online, tuning in later, Lord, that there would be a blessing, that there would be fruit, that there would be abundance. And I pray, Lord, for an anointing on my teaching, Lord, my, my lips right now, that they would be an offering to you. Lord, it would be sweet to us and be fruitful to the world. The world needs fruit, which is love and peace and joy, patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. And I pray that that would be born in us. We, we need that, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, verse one again says, now it came to pass afterward. After what? After Jesus had dinner with Simon the Pharisee and the unnamed sinful woman. And the Bible says that her faith saved her. And on the heels of that event, Jesus then goes out to see if there's anybody else maybe who had been saved by the simple preaching of Jesus Christ, the simple message of Jesus Christ. And when the word goes out, man, it changes lives. I like how Jesus goes back to see if it had produced fruit. Yesterday, I was in Cannon Beach uh, the day before as well, Friday, teaching at the Coastline Calvary Chapel Men's Retreat. And after session two yesterday morning, a young man, 20 years old, named Caleb came up to me and just said, thanks for the messages, man, it's so crazy, and the Lord, and, and I just, and he told me a story. He said, I came to this retreat last year, and it's when my eyes were opened up and my heart was changed for the Lord, and I heard the word taught there by Zach Vesney's back then, and since then it's just been growing, and I just was able to see in his life a year's worth of fruit production. As the word went in, and I'll tell you what, I hope your testimony is similar that when the word of God, the power of God, the message of Jesus touched your life, it then began to grow. And if you've ever done any gardening or any kind of things like that, you know that it's a process of maturation, that there are seasons of much growth and seasons of little growth. And if you put a peach pit into the ground, you don't get peaches for many, many years. But it's still a peach tree. As a matter of fact, at my house right now, we have this coffee plant. And my kids ask me just about every day, Dad, when is it gonna start growing coffee? And I'm like, dude, you and me both, bro, you know? Well, I don't know, you know? We brought that thing back from Kona like years ago, and it's like this high, and there's no coffee yet. Hey, it's still a coffee tree, okay? I respect that thing. Well, Jesus follows up on the lives of those he's already poured himself into. Look at verse one again. Now, it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. It's interesting that you note this, especially you religious zealots. Jesus goes back. Let's go check these pots, see if there's any crabs in there. And what's his message? The glad tidings of the kingdom. Interesting. He, he had just seen this woman. He, he probably smelled like her. Smelled like this fragrant alabaster jar. He smelled like worship and love. And he went out, not with sad tidings, not with mad tidings, but with glad tidings. And if you've been in the church long enough or heard enough preachers, you have been able to sense the ones who have the sad tidings or the mad tidings. Jesus says, when I go out, I go with glad tidings. The message of forgiveness, the message of love, the message of help, the message of hope. This is the message that changes your life and then God begins to mature you and bring you into deeper messages as well. But this is the one he leads with. I love it so much. I don't know about you, but I need to hear glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And some people, I'll tell you what, man, they bring joy wherever they go. Some people bring joy whenever they go. <laughs> right? I think Jesus brought joy wherever he went. The common people heard him gladly. This crowd, this is, G this is God, by the way. Like, he rules. He, he, he can kill or make alive. Like, he's in charge of the universe. And there is great awe and reverence and respect, and the Bible uses that word to fear the Lord. But yet when Jesus showed up, kids wanted to climb on him. People wanted to be near him. People would rip off rooftops to bring their friends into his presence. Why? Because they trusted his love, his love. Now I say that because I wonder how it is with you. Are you one of those people that bring joy wherever you go? Or, or do you bring joy whenever you go? What's your message? What's your fragrance? What's it like? It can change today. You could repent today and say, you know what? 
I'd like to do that. I'd like to offer hope and help and forgiveness. I, I, I would like to offer grace and kindness and love. I would like to do that. Jesus did that. As a matter of fact, he has the 12 with him. I just kind of underscore that. Are you with him in this project? Are you with him in this? Is this how you go to Fred Meyers or to Starbucks or JC Market or wherever you shop or wherever you work or where you go to? This is, this is what, oh, I get to do this. Or are you bringing mad tidings or sad tidings? In the New King James, I'm sorry, the King James Version, it says that not only did he bring glad tidings, but he showed them. You could see it. Now, let me just talk about the difference between words and deeds. There are many religious people and religions and cults and ways of life and philosophies of men with words. Here's how it works. And then when you examine how it looks, it's mad tidings. You ever even heard from somebody what sounds true, but you look at them and it looks like they've been baptized in pickle juice? And you're like, I don't know if I want that. Jesus was able to say the truth. That's cool. But he actually showed the truth. He actually looked like he was having fun. He actually was attractive on the outside. He actually looked like he'd been set free, like he had a message, like he believed what this woman had just believed. I I use my eyes and my ears when I listen to people, teachers and leaders in in the Christian world, but also in the secular, non-believing, fake world, the cult world. And when I hear these messages from the Jehovah's Witnesses or from, from the Mormon camp, and I, they get the, the message, you know, here's the magazines, and here's, it's all right here. And I look at their life, and I'm like, I don't think you're having fun. The only reason you're here is based out of fear. And I always tell that to the J-dubs and to the Mormons that come to my door. I said, if you don't come to my door, you're in trouble. And I said, I know, you're in trouble. I said, I go tell people about the Lord, and it's not because I'm in trouble if I don't. It's because I'm in joy when I do. It's different. I show the God. You guys don't have any good news. And I'll just tell you, Jesus had good news. He didn't just say it. And for you parents, by the way, raising your kiddos in the truth, that's a good job. Good job. Truth. Do your, parents, do your kids see it in your life? Do they see the joy, the freedom, the love, and the forgiveness, and the grace in your eyes? Do they see that? It's easy to be a boss, okay? You need to tell the truth and run a show. Here's, here's the rules, The Bible says that Jesus showed this as well. It was a demonstration. Now, here's the difference, by the way. It says in verse 1 again, he had the glad tidings. I need you to get this, especially you who are those who rub shoulders with thinkers and critics and debaters. Glad tidings of the kingdom of God. You can be forgiven. There are lots of philosophies and cults and weirdnesses out there that offer to people direction. Just do this. You can go see a psychologist, and the psychologist will tell you, do these things. The difference with Christianity is it adds two components that nothing else can add. The number one component that it adds, that nothing else adds, is a clause for when you're unable to do what you've been instructed to do. It's called grace and forgiveness. So you can go to a psychiatrist or to a coach or to your boss, and they can tell you exactly what to do. Okay, I'll go do that. Boom, and you hit the wall. Well, you're fired, you're you're done, you're a failure. Christianity has within its glad tidings a clause for when you fail. No other religion, philosophy, has a clause for complete failures. The other component that the glad tidings of the kingdom of heaven offers that no other philosophy, no other message has is not just a clause for your failures, but a source to have the power to actually do what you're being asked to do. You see, Buddhism, in Taoism, in Hinduism, and other isms, isms, will tell you what to do, but they offer you no power to do it. Here's what you do. Go do it. As a matter of fact, I was talking to these two young Buddhist disciples in Ashland at the downtown plaza one day. And I said, oh, what do you guys believe? Oh, we're Buddhist. Wow, trip out. How's that work? Well, we got to meditate on this, and there's nine different levels, and we're trying to get to nirvana, and you got to go right past your belly button, and there it is, you know, and you know, and you got to navel gaze for a second, you know. And I was like, whoa, and I was like, dang, dude. I said, I can't even cross the street without getting honked at. Like, I get in the way of cars, like. And I said, that sounds very elitist. I said, I wonder if your religion is only for the upper crust, for the high and mighty, for the elite people. I said, that's kind of sad it's not for the handicapped or for the add or for the ad triple hd like myself you know like you know i just don't and i just kind of messed with their heads i said that's unfortunate i said my message is the one of grace and kindness and mercy and power toward to the powerless 
Not just the elite and the upper crust and the ones that can actually do what you're asking them to do in these small cults and false religions. Christian, the glad tidings, friends. It's not just here's what to do and here's what not to do. Okay, that's pretty simple. It's here's what, here's what happens when you don't do what you're supposed to do. When we take communion, Jesus will die for you. Okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's help for you if you've blown it, if you, if you can't do it. You just can't, I can't do it, coach, you know, teacher. Gotcha, gotcha covered. And then if you find yourself walking in the precepts of the scriptures, it, it is by his power. It's by his provision. I'm so glad it's called the good news, the glad tidings. It, it deserves that. It's not good advice. Okay, it's not Oprah Winfrey. It's not Dr. Phil. It's not somebody's story. It's news of glad tidings. And there was crowds gathering, people thronging together. Oh, oh, oh I need some of that. Notice the crowd that's with him enlisted, verses 2 and 3. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant, and Susanna, and many others provided for him of their substance. Luke records this for us because it not only happened, but it was miraculous that Jesus would allow these gals to participate and how these gals were joined together. Mary Magdalene, seven demons. There are rumors, unbiblical, unfounded, that she was also a harlot, that she had lived a crazy life. Hence the demon possession. We don't know. But there are also listed in this group this wife of Chusa, Joanna. She would have been one of the high and mighty. She's married to a guy who works for Herod the king. This is like a government official's wife. And here you got this gal who we know had seven demons, kind of a roughneck chick, been delivered by Jesus, walking with him. And then you got this kind of high and mighty chick. And they both come together with Susanna. I think it might have been old Susanna. I'm not sure. <laughs> They're all there together. So you got old Susanna and high and mighty Joanna. And, no? You'll remember it now, though. But these three chicks are together. And it's so, the glad tidings draws them into unity and into equality. So fresh is this. The word here for them serving him is the word diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon, which is where we get our word deaconess. They're serving him. They're doing what needs to be done, by the way. They're listed by name. There's others also joined in that sentence that are helping Jesus pull off the ministry. They're there doing deacon stuff, showing up early, staying late, saying yes to everything. They hear the glad tidings. It's permeated their hearts, changed their lives. And they raise their hand and say, can I be a part of this? Mary Magdalene? Yes, you can. Joanna? Yes, you can. Old Susanna? Yes, you can. And he's invited them into the ministry to help. I just would tell you what, okay, this is how it works. This is how it's been working for thousands of years. You can see the deacon roles developed and deployed in Acts chapter 6 as the church began to grow there in the New Testament and deacons were actually enlisted and Stephen and Philip and all these guys became deacons and served the masses. So what? So the ministry could continue to go out. And in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, everyone gave of what they had to make sure that this was liberated and was unhindered and that the gospel went forth. It's been doing the same thing ever since then. And I would just say this is the same model that Jesus showed us that we now walk in today where men and women have their hearts changed by Jesus and then show up and serve and give to that end. Time, talent, and treasure. These girls are giving all three of those things their time. They were with him, walking, going through these fields and into these cities. They, they were giving their talent. No doubt they were making arrangements and taking care of things and feeding the disciples and organizing. No doubt they were on point. Treasure, their money. They were saying, the ministry's not free. It costs money to make sure that this goes out. What do we need to do, Jesus? And they would give freely of their wealth, not just them, but other people. And can I say, it's the same thing that's been happening all throughout history and at this church as well. The church is full of deacons and deaconesses, people who are called by God to serve because you've heard the word. And when you're called upon to give your time, easy, love it. When you're called upon to give your talent, 
Love it. Easy. God, make, God gave me this skill. It's kind of unique. I can do this behind the scenes. When God calls upon you to give your treasure, you do it. Love it. Love to write checks to the church or to missions or to make sure that the internet gets paid so we can broadcast these services or whatever the case is. And I just love how Luke highlights these gals. I would say this also. Joanna and Mary, here noted in Luke chapter 8, also highlighted in Luke 24. And in Luke 24, they've got tears, <laughs> snot, <laughs> and they're on their way to the tomb to, to offer Jesus more service, more time, more talent, more treasure. And what does the Lord do for them? Boo! <laughs> uh, he probably didn't do that. But they were scared. He, he, he appeared to them first. It's kind of crazy. Jesus Christ, Savior of the world shows himself to these two. They're named. They're the ones there. And if you want to see Jesus, you, you truly want to, maybe, maybe you're here today and you would complain, I don't see Jesus. I don't see Jesus. Well, where's your time, talent, and treasure being invested? I don't want to go down to the church and serve. I'm just going to go there and eat, spoon-fed. I don't see Jesus. Really? Just follow the model here. As a matter of fact, yesterday was Saturday, and we have a volunteer cleaning team that shows up, okay? Saw some of their posts, SBC Clean Team. You can add yourself to the Facebook group. There's like 66 people that are added to that, and it's growing, and it's organizing. We're trying to figure it out. And there was a, a half dozen deaconesses that were here yesterday, just serving, just cleaning. Saturdays, they, they show up here and clean. And there's deacons that do the same thing, guys and gals. And I, gar it's, I guarantee you that in your moment of... <laughs> Jesus will show up to you as well. Say, I've seen your time. I've seen your talent. I've seen your treasure. I am so thankful to you. I'm so grateful that you give, that you're responsible. By the way, it's so fun being at this church. We don't uh, pass the offering. We don't talk about money uh, that often at all. And there's a great responsibility that you guys have accepted upon yourself to be faithful givers. You just, you, you know, we, get, we give. It's part of the deal. Pastor doesn't have to, you know, smack us around and remind us. It's what we do. We give. By the way, the boxes are located right there and over there. <laughs> so fun. Well, I really, really, really want to finish all the way to verse 15, so you guys got to stop laughing. Verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered... They had come to him from every city. He spoke by parable. A parable. Para means alongside of. Balo means to cast. And so you would take a story like this. It's just a story. It's not doctrine, not theology. It's just a story that you would cast alongside of, listen, something that's actually happening. And the story then would be to illustrate the reality so Jesus sees what's happening. There's a lot of people here. Better push out in this boat. A lot of people have a lot of different looks on their faces here. Some people are crying. Some people are whining. Some people have their arms crossed. Mad. And so he tells them a parable. I would say this. A parable is designed to do two things. For the seeker, ask yourself if that's you. Do you really want to know? Are you, are you concerned? Are you, are you inquisitive? To the seeker, it would offer a door for you to walk further through. I can go further. There's a door created. I can actually go deeper. For the seeker, it would op offer an opportunity for more questions, more conversation. Now, for the critic, who's already made your mind up, scowl, arms crossed, on your phone, whatever, you know, unless you're on the Bible phone, that's fine. The parable would be on purpose to conceal the truth. You would hear the parable say, I don't know what that means. Stupid. It's a stupid story. And you wouldn't get it. As a matter of fact, he quotes in verse 10 out of Isaiah saying, seeing you won't see, hearing you won't hear. Here's the crazy thing. God will give you whichever one you want. You don't want to know? You won't know. I don't want to know. Darn it. Okay. Well, you're going to be blind to this. 
because God will honor you. Don't do that. Do not harden your heart toward the truth of God. If you're here today and you have questions and you're freaking out and you're panicking and you're hurt and you're wounded and you're needy and you're looking around, tune in. Lord! And the Lord will give you a door for you to walk into fellowship with him. So good. As a matter of fact, look what these guys do. Verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. Notice he, by the way, uses agricultural terms in this Galilean region. Okay, if he were at the, you know, Autzen Stadium, he would use a different illustration for the sports guys there, you know. And if he were in his school, he would talk about educational stuff. He's in farmland. He talks their language. And I just hope you know this. Jesus knows who you are. He'll speak your language. A sower goes out to sow the seed. Some fell by the wayside. It was trampled down. Birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rocks, and as soon as it sprang up, man, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. They're right alongside of it. Others, though, verse 8, and this is where we want to be, fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried out, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That's the end of his teaching. Pulls himself back into the shore, and the disciples approach him, verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? <laughs> These guys are so smart. Jesus yells, if you hear, you'll hear. Did you guys hear what he said? I, I heard what he said, but I don't know what he said. I heard it loud and clear. It's pretty simple. When you sow seeds, don't put it on the ground. Ah, but, you know, Put it in the, the dirt. Don't put it on the rocks. What does that mean? You know, they're panicking a little bit. Other people probably thought, what a weird story. Maybe some of the farmers there even thought, oh, man, he's been watching the way I plant. He's not, you know, he's not impressed. Shoot, you know, thinking all kinds of weird thoughts. These guys, though, listen, please, Bible students. And this is the main goal where we're going. I want you guys to be Bible students. You guys need to get back into the word. The seed that he references is the word of God. These guys, when hearing this message from Jesus, the word of God from Jesus, they raise their hand, tell us more. What's it mean? Can I just say the best way to read your Bible in the morning is kind of in a dialogue way, not a monologue. Monologue meaning where you just are thinking to yourself or reading from the text that's just straight to you, but a dialogue. Or you read a verse, maybe two, but maybe just a verse. And you just read it. And then you ask the Lord what it means. And then you meditate on how it looks in your own life. I did that today with Psalm chapter 1. Just read each verse and just talk to the Lord, asking him. And maybe, maybe it's very simple and you already know the application, but maybe there's portions of the scripture like, ah, Lord, what does this mean? Did you know that if you say that, he's not going to run from you and say, not telling? <laughs> Some of you think that's how he acts. Like, ah, the word's so crazy. God, I don't know. I guarantee you, if you say, Lord, what, what's this mean? He'll instruct you, he'll tell you, he'll pull you deeper. Verse 9, that's how these guys approached their understanding of God's preaching. And here's what he says. Look at verse 9, verse 10. And then he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that, seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. This is both awesome and scary. If you do not want God, he will not force himself upon you. Forced love is rape. God's not going to force himself on anyone. So if you're here today with your arms crossed, proverbially in your heart, man, whatever. If he wants me to believe, he'll make me believe. No, he won't. No, he won't. Not until you're ready. And once you are ready, like the woman who heard the word, oh, I need that. Is that true? Can I have that? Oh, yes, and more. And when you are ready, the, the Lord will open up the very windows of heaven and pour himself out upon your life. These guys, they, they, they double-clicked. Hey, 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 you just told a crazy parable. We, we could figure it out on our own. We could make some, you know, whatever. What, what do you mean? What does this mean? Ah, oh, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then he explains it to us. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's one verse alone. And it's the key to the entire parable. 
If you miss the key to parables, you'll misunderstand the parable. There is in this parable one sower, it's Jesus. There is one seed, it is the glad tidings, the word. And then in this parable, there are four different reactions. Now again, Jesus, just for you who really want to expand your mind and see this, told this parable after six months, a year, three months, we don't know, after he had gone and told the glad tidings within that region. And now he comes back and he sees the scattered seeds. The seed is not wrong. It's not impotent. It is powerful. But based on the soil it falls on and the reception of that soil, the seed will have a different reaction. And so Jesus put the soil everywhere. I'm sorry, put the seed everywhere. And as he looks at the crowd, he's like, interesting. I see some that have produced fruit. I see some that have become small. I see some that have become hardened. And so he tells them a story to illustrate what he was seeing in their eyes. And let me just say this. The word of God is the seed. Aren't, aren't seeds crazy? You guys, any planters out there? Any gardeners? Any, any people like that? Agricultural folk, you know? Seeds are nuts. Seeds, did you know that within the design of a seed, each and every individual seed, is the DNA code of what that seed is to produce? Okay, it doesn't vary, it doesn't change, it doesn't morph, it's just ready to go. And once it is received into the ground and covered with soil and added some water and time, it does what it was intended to do. It actually doesn't need that much help. It just needs that soil and that time. Did you know they found seeds in excavations 2,000 years old that had been just sitting there for 2,000 years? And you would think, not seeds, useless. Well, in its state at that point, it is until it's received into the ground and added water and it grows. 2,000-year-old seeds and even older seeds than that will produce what God has designed it to do. It's predetermined to do in the ground what God says. God says, you know what? My word's that way. No, no matter what. You receive my word into your heart at any time in your life, it will produce fruit. If you don't, it won't. And there are Christians here, this is for Christians only, who right now are wondering, well, I, need, I need some more stamina. You know, I need some more endurance. I need some more power. Man, I need some more, I need some more toughness. I need some more stuff. Where am I going to get that? Well, I know I'll go do CrossFit <laughs> or something like that. Or I know I'll do, I'll do a diet, you know, or I'll do a you know, self-help book or I'll do, listen, it's this book placed in your heart, received and kept, and then with patience and maturity, we'll see in the final verse, verse 15 of the day, we'll see that there will be fruit in your life. Now, there are many believers here this morning that that's the only word you need to hear. You need to get back to the word. There's no other source. There's no other way to get more fruit. You need more Jesus in your life right now, don't you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get that. The word. The word, the word, the word. Put it in. I bet you that the majority of us here have been distracted by the cares of this world, the riches, the pleasures, like he'll say, from putting time in the word. I would challenge you and myself this next coming week to add more word to my life than I did last week. How about that? Okay. I was going to say that ever before, but that's kind of crazy. Than last week. Just a little more. And you will see as you would if you put seed in the ground, something happened. Seeds are cool. They're so fun to study. I was trying to get my lawn right, and I didn't want to add topsoil to the grass seed. You ever done that before? You just put the grass seed right on top of the grass? It does nothing. You have to put it on the grass, and then you have to put topsoil on top of it, and you have to water it, and then you have to wait. Horrible four-letter word, wait. And then the grass begins to break through and produce fruit and growth. Eventually and ultimately, there will be breakthroughs in your life as well. Well, Jesus, I just need to clarify that, and let's, let's examine these different types of soils. The word of God is the seed, verse 11. And those by the wayside are the ones who hear it, but then the devil comes. Interesting. You who don't believe in the devil, you're wrong. Jesus does. The devil comes. And he takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. 
These are the ones who hear the word of God alongside of what they hear everyone else saying. This is the pathway where all of the main thoughts are being trodden down and everyone is going to and fro. It's the main way of thinking in our system and in our society today. There's so many thoughts out there, aren't there? And you can hear God's word and God's truth right alongside of somebody else's on Facebook or Instagram or CNN or Fox News. And the devil slyly comes in and says, you can't have God's word and the ways of the world both. There's no room. It's trampled down. There's just no room. Satan's going to take that away. And if you are the, that type of soil here today, you want what the world has. You're really humanistic and materialistic and pluralistic, but you want God's word also. Satan's going to have no problem yanking that away from you. This is the pathway soil. Don't do that. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root who believe for a while and in a time of temptation or trial or fire fall away. These are the ones where the word is planted and there's just a little bit of soil. On top of the rock, right below that soil is rocks. There's nowhere for the roots to actually grow down. And there actually is some growth. Have you ever noticed, especially here on the crazy, rugged Oregon coast, seeing some things growing right out of the side of rocks? You're like, how'd you do that? Well, I found a little bit of dirt and made it work. You know? <laughs> and Jesus says that there are those who hear the word, and because there's a rockiness of their heart, which is better understood, there's a shallowness. It just doesn't go deep. There is growth. And then what happens? Listen, this is very important. Temptation, trial, or fire comes. And because there's no depth or moisture, there's no soil, there's, just, there's not enough depth, that trial wipes them out. These are the Christians who quickly hear the gospel and get baptized without thought of commitment. These are the Christians who grab a SBC Jesus' real hoodie and before putting on, throw it into the trunk, never to be seen again. These are the ones who sign up on a form excited one day and yet they walk out and a trial, temptation, or fire destroys their quick growth and there is no real stamina in their life because of the trials. What kind of trials could you imagine coming up in your life? What kind of fires? Maybe an old flame. Oh, you're going to church now? Well, I was going to hopefully you come over to my house and chill. Oh, crazy. I think that sounds fun. And there's no root to keep you from that temptation. Now, let me just ask a quick question. How many of you guys want less trials in your life? Okay, less temptation, less fire. Anybody want that? <laughs> no. No, no. And you would think, man, you know what these little plants need? They just need no trials. No fires. It's not going to happen. What these plants need is they need deeper roots. They need better soil to go down further. The, the trials are coming your way. Okay? You're already in the midst of them. And right now, you're in the midst of a trial, a temptation. Satan is trying to mess your life up. And if your roots are deep, guess what? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll produce fruit. You'll be like that tree planted by the rivers of water that produces fruit in its season. And when the sun comes out, it's not scorched and the leaves don't wither, Psalm 1. I would, and I, I really had to repent this morning and say, Lord, I think I, I'm looking for less trials in my life. That's what I really want. I want an easier sailing. I don't want tough days. And the Lord says, that's boring. What I want for you, Luke, is deeper roots. Let the roots go down. Let the storm rage. Whoa, crazy. That's exciting stuff. It's not going to get easier for you, okay? Sorry. But your roots can grow down, and you can make it. There are those, though, that don't have roots. Sun comes out, trial, temptation, boom, you're gone. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns, they are those who, when they have heard, they go out and they are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures. The pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. It's as if they almost have fruit, but it doesn't quite mature. He says these ones are plagued by three things, and I don't have the time to develop it that well here. Maybe at the 11 and the 6, come back to that one, I dare you. These three things, cares, riches, and pleasures. The cares, the stresses, the, the freakouts. You hear the word, oh, this is so good. Oh my gosh, my bills are due. Oh, what about this? And the anxieties creep in. And it's as if these cares are different than the riches. The riches will just distract you and overwhelm you with all that you have to deal with. And the cares are going to overwhelm you and distract you with all of the things that you need in order to deal with. It's almost as if those who are impoverished and always scrambling for something else and ah, I can barely get by and working multiple jobs that you get choked out. 
And then the riches, those who maybe have been blessed and being blessed and rich and even being impoverished is not a curse, neither are. It's how you handle them. And if you're rich and blessed and you have so much stuff, Jesus says, that your stuff has you, that you'll be choked out. And the third group is those who just want pleasures. And that's all of us, by the way. Just living for pleasures. Just, oh man, I can't wait for that vacay. When is it? Two years from now. I'm just counting down. Whoa. That's like on the forefront of your mind. Yep, vacay, you know. All right, cool. You know, I love vacations, okay? Nothing wrong with them. But the pleasures of this world, the cares of this world, and the riches of this world, they will choke you out. You're, you're Christians here, most of you. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one before you leave. And Jesus says, when the seed goes out, it is received, and alongside of it, and I believe this is American Christianity, this is our problem, okay? Again, there's nothing innately wrong with being rich or even being poor. It's how you navigate the fruit in your life in that richness or that poorness. And everyone has to do a little soul searching. Do, do, do I have so much stuff that I have no room for the Lord? Good question. Am I concerned about all the stuff I don't have that I have no room for the Lord? Or am I so concerned about the stuff that I want to have, pleasures, that I have no room for the Lord? It's crowded. Now, now by the way, if you're a believer here, you're hoping to be in the fourth category. You're like, keep going. I'm none of those bozos. Read the last one. Listen, we all can go through one of, if not all four of these soils throughout the day. We can become the shallow person. Something happens and you just tipped over, burned out, ugh, you know. We can be the ones that are just getting caught up in the ways of the world. Man, I've been on Facebook for 72 hours straight. I can't stop, you know, I can't stop. You know, need to go into recovery. <laughs> or we can be convoluted and crowded out by, oh, I'm stressing about this, or I'm over here enjoying this, and the Lord's like, I'm right here. Whoa, whoa. And the Lord would have us to get to this last part. Even if you do find yourself a jacked up type of soil, verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, Keep it and bear fruit, he adds, with patience or perseverance. There are those who, when they hear the word, they say, that's legit. They receive it. They keep it. They pull it in deeper. I really want that to, to change me. I don't just agree with that. I don't just like that. That's going to produce fruit in my life. And they cover it down with soil, soil of hard work. This is going to be who I am. And then that last word, kind of a bummer, but I'm glad it's there because it's true, with patience. And if you've ever done any type of gardening, you know how when you plant the seeds into the soil and do it all right and the soil's been tilled and cultivated and the fallow ground's been removed and you plant the seeds and like three or four hours later, you got dinner, right? <laughs> no, dude. Three or four hours later, you just got a mess. Okay, like three or four days later, nothing. Three weeks later, nothing. But then eventually, with water and patience, perseverance, you see this little thing pop through the soil, like magic, like, like a miracle, like in that seed. So, somehow it's working. And it begins to produce fruit. And it begins to do what it was designed to do. Can I encourage you in your Bible reading, in your devotions, Maybe you need to return to your first love even this week. You need to remove some things from your life. Maybe you need to get off social media for the month of October. Or maybe just October 1st. <laughs> or just, just from now till dinner. Or, or more than before. And make room for God's word. And you might say, I did that one time. I see no difference. I did morning devos for two days in a row. I'm going back to sleeping in. <laughs> Give it some time. Give it some time, farmer. Give it some time to do what, what, what only God can do and wants to do in your heart. And I'm, so, I'm excited because I believe where we're at in the word is where we're at. We're right here. We're, this is where I'm at. And I, for one, am going to commit to making more room in my heart for God's word. Okay? I am. I'm excited about it. And until you make more room for God's word, it's just not going to do anything different than you've already gotten. 
And so if you're already impressed and blessed and your storehouses are full, hundredfold, keep doing what you're doing. But if you feel malnourished and if you feel underfed, as a matter of fact, I'm going to have the worship team come up now. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 4, to the children of Israel, they didn't listen, by the way. It says, guys, you're, you're all messed up. <laughs> you're all messed up. You're in Babylon. Ah, whoops. How do we get here? <laughs> in Jeremiah chapter 4, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to break up the fallow ground. Okay? And you need to cut away, circumcises the word used, the areas of your heart that have grown over. The areas of your heart that have grown cold, un unproductive. You, you need to go into the most intimate areas of your life. Break up that fallow ground and let the Lord produce in you the growth you need. Now, they didn't listen. I am really, truly, I promise you, I'm, I'm, pray for me, please. I'm really excited about what the Lord is showing me in this. Because Satan would love to come and steal the word out of my mouth or your life just like he did in the first soil. The temptations and the trials, the, the, the craziness would, would, would love to just push me down and push you over as well and see us not make it to the next chapter. The, the blessings that God has afforded us and the cares and the riches and the pleasures that can be redeemed, they can also be a curse. And yet the Lord tells us, promises you, offers to me make some room in your heart plan it deep stay patient do it every day read your bible and pray every single day read your bible and pray every single day underneath this building right here there is fallow ground there will never be anything growing up out of these concrete floors at least we hope not unless this building was removed and if it were to be removed and the ground cultivated it would do what it naturally does so too in your lives there's areas that it'll never grow until something is removed something is brought out of the way and the ground the seed the word does what it does it's magic it's power so I'm excited the ways of this world are at enmity with the Lord. Don't be distracted by all the craziness. Read your Bible and pray every single day. Father, in Jesus' name, now we thank you for your simple parable, your teaching that goes deep within our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that now as we prepare to take communion and then leave here, that we can take your word with us. That it has been preached and it has been planted in our hearts, Lord. And now we can receive it and keep it unto maturity with patience. And not just this word we heard this day, but the word you're going to show us tonight in our Bibles, tomorrow. Lord, I pray for a renewal within our hearts and minds here at South Beach Church and beyond. That, Lord, we would return to your word. That we would break up that fallow ground. And even as we come to the table now, Lord, may we be refreshed that the glad tidings of Jesus Christ have not only given us the to-dos and the to-don'ts, here's how it works all, but you've also given us a clause for when we've failed. You've given us the power to rise up. You've done it all. And so we applaud you, we serve you, we seek you. Holy Spirit, be blessed now as we come to the table, examining ourselves and proclaiming the death of Jesus until his return. We believe in him. In Jesus' name, and everybody who prays, amen.